0: So it's Luke chapter 20, verse 45 is where we're going to start. Luke chapter 20, verse 45. And it reads as follows. Then in the audience of all the people, he said unto his disciples, beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the the markets and the highest seats in the synagogues and the chief rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses and for a show make long prayers. The same shall receive greater damnation. And he looked up, and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow casting thither two mites. And he said, Of a truth I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these, all these have their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God. But she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had said. And as some spake of the temple how it was adorned with god- goodly stones and gifts he said as for these things which ye behold the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down let's pray before we look at these verses today dear god thank you for your word the bible Thank you for gathering us here in your house to worship you, to honor you, to learn your words and hear your message. Lord, be with me now as I try to speak that message and be with this congregation now that this message may you know, touch their hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was looking at the news this week, and maybe you guys read the, read the, read the financial news or watch the financial news a lot. And One of the big news that was on this week was they were all talking about cryptocurrencies, Bitcoins and Dogecoins and all these things that have these wild and crazy swings, right? Like you can invest in a Bitcoin and the next day it goes down 25%, or you can invest in this other coin and it makes you a millionaire. And, you know, it's crazy like that, right? And, you know, obviously I do not not own any of these coins or whatever. I do not consider them a sound investment, right? Because it's just too crazy, the wild swings. But it did get me thinking about money matters, right? Because it's been the talk of the town, right? I got friends telling me, oh, they've made a killing on these. Other friends saying, oh, they've lost the killing on these, right? And so I was looking at the Bible and saying, oh, it felt like looking at some Bible verses about money and stuff like that and just reading about it and see if anything strikes me. And I came across this uh, story which probably many of you guys have heard before about this widow and her two mites. And I read about it and I read some commentaries about it and I got to thinking about it and I and I was thinking, you know, I've heard the story so many times, but there's actually another way to think about this, right? And so I read more about it and I thought more about it and I thought it'd be a good thing to share with you guys today because, you know, sometimes we want to try to look at, you know, maybe a story we've seen many times, but maybe... There can be new lessons to be learned from it. Even though you say, I've read this before. I've heard this before. Many of you guys may be in the audience right now saying, yeah, I've heard this story before. I've heard a message on this before. I've heard a Bible study on this before, whatever. But still, new things might come out. And I found some new things this week as I was reading this. So I'm going to share with you guys, right? Because it is a very well-known Bible story, right? We read the verses here. Pretty simple, pretty simple. Jesus sitting at the temple and the temple in those days they had an area called the treasury and the treasury was this i guess area where people could dump money into uh i don't know if they said they were like kind of buckets or containers and that's how they would deposit their offerings to the temple and it was very obvious that the high priests of the day had set up this area to make it very conspicuous that oh people could show off they can make a big show of that here it is I'm, dumping it into the big thing and you can see me put in my whatever it is my money my gold my whatever it is and that's part of the show right that uh, that these uh, the scribes the Pharisees the high priests that they wanted to have and Jesus is sitting there observing this right and he sees the rich people they're putting money in that thing and then here comes a widow the old poor widow right and the widow puts in two mites, two mites. And what's a mite? My rough understanding of what a mite is, is that it's a coin. And back then, it was actually one of the lowest denomination coins, right? So it would not be like, you know, like today, we would. Have, what's the highest denomination coin? A dollar? It wouldn't be a dollar. It would be more like a penny, right? The lowest denomination. Penny. And she throws in her two pennies, her two mites. And Jesus points out that, oh, you know, that's all the money she has, this widow. That's all, like 100%. And she put it all into the treasury, all into the temple offering. And that was the observation he made. And he made the observation that he actually put in more on a you know, proportional level, right? than those rich people who are just giving their excess income, a little bit about it, even though the, uh, the absolute dollar amount might be more, right? The percentage dollar amount, is less compared to this widow who gave basically 100 percent all she had so typically when you hear the message on this and typically when you hear the bible study on this you get a few normal interpretations which is that this story talks about sacrificial giving right how selfless was this widow all that she had it was given away to god right and many people will talk about measuring are giving through deprivation right like oh can we deprive ourselves some people take it to the extreme and say like hey can we take like a vow of poverty to be like this widow and be poor and stuff and put in lots and lots of money in the offering plate which and you know i'm sure you guys have heard that message and heard that lesson before. If you read commentaries or hear messages in Bible studies, that's a very common interpretation of this. But something about this did not totally add up in my mind about that interpretation. did not make perfect sense to me, which is why I kind of looked at it, read about it, thought about it. You know, a few things that I observe about this. Because if it's true that we need to hold up this widow as like the shining a number one example of what giving is like. Here's the one thing that catches my eye at the first at the outset. No one else in the Bible ever does that. Is there any other story in the Bible that says like some guy sold everything he owned and donated all to God and that was it? No, I can't recall anything. There's definitely lots of stories about generous people people in the Bible giving offerings maybe substantial offerings but not in the same way of oh I gave everything hundred percent no one else did that that's a unique thing in the Bible and look at today I don't know anyone today who has used that as their example and said this is my life I'm gonna give 100% all my money and be penniless and be poor and broke and it all went to God right I don't know anyone like that. Even the strongest Christians I know, they still keep enough money to, you know, have a place to live, have a car to drive, and food to eat. They're, they're not at the point where they say, you know what, I will give 100% and I don't even care what happens, right? Uh, there's no one like that. I don't know anybody that has that kind of lifestyle to say, oh, yeah, I gave it all to God 100%. And if you look carefully in these verses that we just read, we don't even see Jesus necessarily endorsing that kind of action, right? He didn't say, after the widow did this, he didn't say, hey, you disciples, why aren't you taking all the money out of your pockets right now and dumping it in there too, right? Or Jesus himself didn't say, oh, here's all the money in my pocket, I'm going to put it in there. And he didn't say, we didn't read the verses, unlike he does, how he does many other times, he doesn't add the old, Oh, go you, go do ye also likewise, right? He doesn't say, oh, she did a good thing. She didn't say like, oh, he didn't say like, oh, isn't this wonderful? Or she has a good heart or a good spirit. It's really just an observation. It's really just an observation, right? He says, this is what she did. This is what the other people. This is what she did. There's no tag at the end saying, you better do this too, or she's so great for doing this. So that makes me think, if you look closely, that there could be another meaning to this than just that interpretation. And something Melvin talked about in the first half, very pointedly, right, is looking at Bible context, right? Bible context. This is a situation where I think the Bible context helps shed a lot of light about what Jesus might be talking about here and a possible other interpretation of what this verse is these verses are getting at what the story is getting at. We got to look at the verses both before and after. If we look at verses 36 and 37 in chapter 20, it says it says this, right? Or picked it wrong with my handout should be 46 and 47 uh, it says beware of the scribes the scribes, those people running the temple right which desire to walk in long robes love greetings in the markets and the highest seats in the synagogues and the chief rooms at feasts which devour widows houses and for a show make long prayers and the same receive the same shall receive greater damnation right before this he's being very critical of the high priests. He's being critical of the people that run the temple. That for them, it's all about the show, right? It's the show. How can I make myself look great and high and mighty, right? I do the fanciest prayer, right? How can I dress myself in these fancy robes and make myself look like this really important guy? And I don't care about all these other things. And look at the example of the thing that they don't care about, that Jesus uses. They don't care about For example, widows' houses, right? Let's look at Luke chapter 21, verses 5 and 6, the two verses after. This will also give us some context, right? And as spake some of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, he said, as for these things which ye behold, the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another, and that shall not be thrown down. What are these people talking about? They're talking about the stones, the goodly stones, the fancy stones and gifts all over the temple. You can imagine this fancy temple with jewels and gems and fancy stones building it up. What does Jesus have to say about this wonderful, beautiful temple with all these riches? He says this temple is going to be torn down. It's going to be to the point where there's not going to be one stone left so here it is before this story he's talking about how bad the scribes are how bad the high priests are after the story he's talking about how because they're so bad these priests the whole temple is going to be destroyed because they're screwing up so badly so would it make sense that in the middle of this story he has this sudden turnaround to talk about, oh, let me give you a lesson here about offering, right? Not exactly. I think, I think, and other people think this too. I'm not saying I made this up by myself. A lot of people believe this too. I think the story here is really a continuation of that message. That this is actually, when he talks about the widow, another criticism of the high priests, of the scribes, of the way the temple was being run. Right? Right? He's saying, look at you guys, you so-called high priests and God's people. You guys care about only how can I aggrandize myself? How can I make everything fancy? How can I lift up the individual people that I can have this, collect all these offerings and make my temple so fancy so that I can put out all the robes. I can put gold and jewels in my temple and all that stuff. How corrupted was this organization that they convinced the poorest of the poor person? Remember, widows back then, you know, this is you know, 2,000 years ago, different than now, right? Because back then, if you were a widow, you know, the story is that back then, you have to rely on your husband to work. And once your husband's not alive anymore, you get stuck with whatever savings there are. If there's no savings, you're stuck, right? There's a different society. So widows are typically thought as one of the poorer groups, they convinced this poor widow who only had two mites to her name to give all of her money away. For what purpose? They gave all the money to the temple. The same temple where the priests are walking around with their fancy robes and their temple has gold and jewels and everything like that. So instead of this woman having money for herself to live on, she got somehow convinced to give all the money to these people that have plenty of money already, that they're collecting money from all these other rich people who are just giving off their excess and using it to, who knows what, buy more jewels, buy more fancy robes or whatever. That's a criticism right there. A criticism of the opulence of the high priest, about the wrong focus of the priests of that temple. The temple had it, all wrong. He's not really praising the widow. He's noting how the system has gone all wrong. Temple, God's temple, is supposed to be for helping people, right? If anyone needed help and money and support, it's people like that widow. The one that only had two mites to her name. But instead of helping her, they went and did their own thing, right? And they had no care that she would bankrupt herself. To give money to them. So you see here, it's not a strict lesson about giving in the story. It's really a lesson about the folly of those temple leaders. We see in Acts, in Acts, when we study the, the early church, really how things really should have been, right? There's a famous person, Barnabas. and he, he did something that we'd say is a good thing, right? In the early church, he sold his land, And he donated money to the church because he was a rich guy he had money he had land he sold his money sold his land gave that money to the early church what did the early church do with this money they collected the money and was one of the things they did with this money that was laid at the apostle's feet well they had to appoint deacons why to help administer money to the widows right the church had it the right way when it came to jesus church when they were running it they knew that hey we have people that have money They give us offerings. We just take care of our congregation, right? To make sure there's no people starving, homeless, right? The synagogue, the temple, they had it backwards. They take money from the starving and homeless and they give it to myself, the high priest. Totally, totally messed up. God had it the right way when we read about the church. And it's significant that back then, when she was giving that money, she wasn't giving it to the church. She was giving it to the old way. Not Jesus' group. Not the followers of Jesus. The followers of the high priest in that temple. So they had it wrong. So how is this story applicable to us today? Right? Because, because uh, you know, even today we see so-called religious people taking advantage of people's generosity. Even the, uh, the poor, you know. It's kind of a sad thing that stuff like this happens still today. That there are basically grifters, so to speak. And we've heard you know, people talk about non-Christians do this. You heard Nathan come up here and tell you about the Muslims, right? About how, oh, you, as part of their faith, you must go to Mecca, right? And you know, you got to get a lot of money to do that. You can imagine that there's some poor Muslim in the world that worked their whole life They saved every single penny that they had, their whole life savings, just so I can make this one trip so that I can hopefully one day get saved according to what Islam teaches or whatever. What a scam, what a horrible thing that they had to spend their whole life savings just to do this one trip, right? They were fooled. The Catholic Church, famously, if you know your history and stuff, talking about uh, Martin Luther and indulgences, right? That, oh, they would sell indulgences to people. But you know what? That was not just in Martin Luther's time. The Catholic Church still does stuff like that. They still sell indulgences and in things like this. How do I know that? I know someone that has one. And I think he. He is not really much of a, he's not really practicing Catholic, but he said his mom bought it for him. And I think he kind of gets that, it's kind of a a scam, but he said this, he said, look, my mom bought me this paper, and it's signed by the Pope, it's signed by the Pope, it's kind of like a get into heaven free card, right? Basically, it says like, oh, your sins are forgiven, you go to heaven, or something like that, signed by the Pope. And he says like, and he's like, kind of jokingly says, oh, you know, one day when I die, I'm going to clutch this paper, right? And that will get me in, right? But." You know, so he kind of gets it. I could tell from how sarcastically he was saying that he kind of thinks that his mom got scammed into buying this, right? But imagine, imagine this. What if people are not as smart as this guy? Can you imagine there's some poor person in the world that is saving every penny, that they work, maybe they only make minimum wage. They're scrapping to save every penny and they saved up just enough money That they're going to give their whole life savings to this catholic church to buy this piece of paper believing that this is how they're going to get to heaven there's people in the world that believe that and do that how horrible is that and you know what even in the church it's not exempt right Melvin's given this example before right about these crooked pastors that say oh i will pray for you oh before i pray for you give me your credit card number your, your bank number oh you know that's really taking advantage of the poor right these are poor people trying desperately oh they must have some problems. you're so desperate that you're calling in the number i really need prayer right i'm at the end of my rope i saw you on tv you said you would pray for me these are the people that need prayer the most they gotta have some big problems they're down to that level of desperation and the guy's answer on the other end of the phone is give me money That's no different than the high priest back in the day, is it? Oh, widow, give me your two mites. I need to build an expansion to the temple today, right? And how much more sad is it that there's also these pastors that have become multi-millionaires based on the backs of their congregants? that do things and i'm sure you've seen the news right and on the uh uh uh, news and people somewhat critical of these types of pastors that collect millions of dollars in offerings and what do they decide to do with it oh i need a private jet i need to live in a mansion i need to drive luxury cars so great a working class guy that might go to that guy's church that makes what fifty thousand dollars a year right struggling to feed his family and all that kind of stuff that guy has to give encourage to give more and more money so that the pastor can get more private jets and can travel first-class luxury and stay in the fanciest hotels and to do all these things makes no sense even today the poor are getting scammed to fund the rich you know what the story tells us is that the church even today ought to be accountable for the use of its funds in bible times that's what they did that's what they have deacons for they tried to organize things to make sure that the church was using the money in a way that was glorifying to god right and one of the things they did back then if you remember is to take care of the poor and one of the things that even today the church should care about is to take care of the poor you know we talk about sometimes these other churches that do things like Oh, they have a soup kitchen or food bank and that's actually not a bad thing right now we don't do it here we don't have the infrastructure or resources to do that kind of thing but those that do that that's not necessarily a bad thing that is a Christian idea that people should be taking care of we ought to take care of those in need in the congregation it's not just all about oh we save all this money up for ourselves to build the fanciest church building with the biggest stained glass windows and the highest steeple and the biggest bell or whatever that's not what God's looking for. God's looking for a community. The church is the body, the body of Christ, the body of the believers that we ought to care for one another. You know, at the start of the pandemic, you know, a lot of people did lose their jobs or got laid off temporarily and we had things like that happen, even among our congregation. And if you remember, Melvin came up here and he said, "Like, look, if you guys are hurting, if you guys have a problem with finances, what did he say? He said, the church is here for you. Let us know. We can help. Now, not to name any names or whatever, but Melvin did tell me that there were people in this church that did come up to him and say, like, yeah, this happened. We're in a tight financial bind because of the pandemic. And What happened? The church helped them, because that's what we're supposed to do with this money. We're not supposed to use this money to say, oh, you know, let's go buy Melvin a private jet, right? That wouldn't be a good use of the money. But if we're going to say, hey, if there's someone in this congregation that's in need, have a big financial problems, why not help them out? That's what this this money is supposed to be for—God's money. This is the lesson of the verses here, right? That, that we have to have the right priority priority in being good stewards of God's money and same same today applies it's even though we're maybe toward the end the ending days of the pandemic you know if it's true if you guys have financial problems and you really need help let us know we're all brothers and sisters here we will be here for one another that's the idea that we need to take care of one another and of course the traditional lessons of this verse I think still are meaningful and still apply even though I've gone great lengths to point out this other interpretation, I think if you heard some message talking about you know, being, uh, being good with uh, tithes and offerings and being generous, that's a good message too. That's also a Bible message. This might not be the number one best example of it, but it's true. We're all stewards of God's money. I've talked about it in the past before, right? For us to use God's monies wisely and honor Him. Honor Him with a tithe and offering, right? But it's significant. Look at that word, tithe itself. We all know what that word means, right? It means what? It means tenth. God didn't say, oh, I want, you know, 50%, 75%, or whatever, right? We don't have to be like the widow and say, here's 100%. God never said that's the 100% offering, right? Tithe, the starting point, is 10%. And it's a good starting point because it makes it clear for people who are hurting, hey, God has compassion, right? If you were the widow and you had no income and you only had two mites, what is your tithe? Well, if your income is zero. 10% of zero is what? Zero. God knows. He doesn't expect the person with nothing to bankrupt themselves to honor him with a tithe. But as Jesus pointed out, what about those other people? Those rich people that are just giving off their excesses they're not giving very much at all, are they? Right? Maybe it's those people that ought to think about giving more. More for God. Being more sacrificial in their giving. More to, to support the church. Right? Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2.9, it says this. That God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Are we cheerful givers? Do we have the spirit of generosity? Right? That it shouldn't be that oh we save all this money just for ourselves right and you know there's nothing wrong with saving money of course right we hear people talk about all the time right It's prudent to have savings and all that stuff but at some point you say hey i'm taking care of myself my family do i really need to have like thousands of dollars millions of dollars billions of dollars can this money be used for some greater good is it good to work on the things that are important to God, like getting people saved. You know? Melvin, he told me this. He tells me this, and he shares stuff with me when we talk about like missionaries and stuff. We have our list of the church-sponsored missionaries, but do you know there's also a lot another list of Melvin-sponsored missionaries out of his own pocket? Not the church's money, his own money. Why? Because he says, hey, I have extra money. I think it should be going toward getting people saved. He has that generosity because he knows that's a good thing. Do we have generosity toward getting people saved? Do we say we're willing to invest money into that? Do we have money, generosity into brothers and sisters? Do we care for each other here? That we shouldn't be stingy toward each other and say, oh, you know, I'm not, I, I can't afford to help you or to do things for you or whatever. I'm, I'm too poor for that or whatever. I'm saving all this money for himself. No, we ought to care for brothers and sisters too. Whatever it is, whatever it is, God teaches a generous heart, not the heart of the Pharisees, the scribes, to say, oh, it's all about me and what I can do with my money and how I can enrich myself even it means stepping over these widows, right? No, 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 no. God wants a generous people, a loving people that when it comes to his church, we shouldn't be known for, oh, we're the... uh, the the cheapest people, the stingiest people. We want to be the most loving people. The most loving people. Because that's what Jesus did, right? Jesus was on a mission, right? Jesus was on a mission to end this corrupt system. He wanted to tell people about how they were doing it all wrong. Instead, he offered forgiveness of sin through his way. And what is his way? In his way, you don't have to pay these inflated prices, right? You get it free from Jesus Christ, the free gift of salvation through him. So that's what I see from these verses here. I think it's a wonderful lesson. Other interpretations which you get from looking at the Bible context, which I think are, you know, good for everyone to see. So with all that said, let's end off with a word of prayer right now. Dear God, and thank you for the story of this widow here. You know, we learned a little bit about um, the way things were back in the days, back in the old uh, temple, how corrupt the high priests were that they made it so that even these, uh, these widows had to suffer so terribly and uh, wind up bankrupt and poor after some you know, misleading messages. And we see today, some people are misled the same way. Lord, we hope that the church uh, is inspired to do right, to be generous, to support the poor, to support those in need, to do the most important thing, to use that money to spread your message, and to get more and more people saved. Lord, that's what you really want us to be doing with our money, and not just hoarding it, and not just aggrandizing, doing self-aggrandizement, and buying fancy jewels and clothes and all these things like that, right? Lord, we thank you for this lesson, and we thank you for the Sunday that we have to worship you and to honor you. And pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.